I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Scott Schober. Scott is the president and CEO of Berkeley Veritronic Systems, or BVS, a 44-year-old company and leading provider of advanced world-class wireless test and security solutions. Scott started with BVS in 1989, and the company's product line of wireless test and security instruments has increased to over 100 products with a core focus on Wi-Fi, cellular, LTE, IoT, as well as other advanced radio devices. Scott's recent focus has been development of cell phone detection tools used to enforce a no-cell-phone policy in various markets, which include government, corporate, military, correctional, education, and law enforcement. Thousands of these security tools have been deployed throughout every state in the U.S. and even around the world. Scott is a highly sought-after subject matter expert on the topic of cybersecurity and wireless technology for media appearances and commentary. He is often seen on ABC News, Bloomberg TV, Al Jazeera America, Fox News, MSNBC, and many more. His precautionary advice is heard on dozens of radio stations such as NPR and Bloomberg Radio. He regularly presents at conferences around the globe discussing wireless technology and its role in the current cybersecurity breaches, along with his vision for best practices to stay safe in the future. In his latest book, Hacked Again, Scott explores the ins and outs of his experience when his own small business was hacked several times. In this eye-opening book, he details the mayhem and tries to understand the motives behind being hacked. In this interview, we will discuss his experience being hacked, the importance of layered security, how to improve IoT security, drone security, common themes and big breaches, cybersecurity education, finding your niche, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Scott, thank you for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm doing good. Great to be on. Great. Well, I appreciate it. And I, I do want to get in your background a bit in your path into cybersecurity, but I do want to start first about how you were hacked in 2014. Kind of what happened and what was the story there? Sure. Well, what happened was in, in it was a series of events that unfolded. And uh, at first, I honestly didn't know what was happening. I thought like any other uh, company, and we're, we're a small business, 30-some engineers. We focus on wireless security tools, and we, we build uh, uh, various tools that go to government agencies and correction facilities, and we sell to a lot of the wireless carriers for building out networks, just to give you a brief uh, background. And, and suddenly, we started having a lot of suspicious transactions happening on our debit card. Strange, and then reported it to the bank and had some trouble getting the funds back and tried to work through it. It happened. Then I noticed the same thing happening on our company credit card. So here it's, it's kind of coincidental because it all happened very closely timed. So as normal, you'd you'd write a letter, rebuttal, refute the charges, work to get the money back. And then it happened again and then again. And the next thing I know, it happened to my personal debit card and my 
personal credit card as well at the same time. So it started to get extremely concerning because of the frequency of it happening again and again and again. Um, reported it to the bank, complained, and, and tried to figure it out. And I should mention both my uh, company and my personal accounts were out of the same bank. So there's some suspicion there. It got to the point where I got so fed up and they couldn't really do anything for me. I had to leave and go to another bank and set up new accounts and to move a, a company that you've been doing a, a business with a, a bank with for many, many years to a whole new bank takes some time and effort. So it was a big pain. Right. And uh, after not too much time, the same thing happened again. And it compromised. We took we had new debit cards, new credit cards. And I, and I vetted this new bank very carefully to make sure they had security in place. And I did all the obvious things with, um, you know, online logging with good passwords and you name it across the board started happening again. Next thing you know, um, they, then it went after my checking account. It was about $65,000 taken out one Monday morning. Oh, wow. And that's when I realized there's something more than just a coincidental um, happening between personal and, and company. And when you've got multiple banks, multiple accounts, multiple credit card, debit card, you know something something's up. Um, and then the worst part, uh, it proceeded to unfold, and I realized it wasn't just a a banking issue. Uh, it, it was more of a targeted attack, and it became a federal investigation, had to provide a ton of information. I was able to get the um, different accounts where the money actually went to, so I could do some research on my own to see if I could hunt down the uh, hacker or hackers in this case. But then I started noticing funny activity. My Twitter account got hacked. Um, our, our website started getting our security tested by some known hackers I had checked out, which really concerned me. Then we started receiving multiple DDoS uh, attacks. And that's when basically um, your website is flooded with traffic. Mm -hmm. So you can't actually run your business then. And in our case, we have an online store and we'll probably average about maybe about $30,000 a month in online sales. So that, that takes a big bite out of your business when somebody's flooding your site and you can't have your regular e-commerce. So very concerning. And the problem just never seemed to have gone away. And I get threatening notes from, be it a lizard squad, anonymous, and different entities and hacking groups, even, even till today, I still am. So I started looking and trying to understand why. Why is this happening? Do I have a target on my back? And the more I dug in, the more I realized and talking to other experts in the industry is as you start sharing information, how to stay secure. And it, in the background, before the hack, our focus is wireless test tools and wireless security devices. So we're educating people how to stay safe from wireless threats, be it through Wi-Fi, which is a huge conduit where people will try to um, infiltrate your network through that wireless means and get onto your computer networks, plant malware or whatever else. So the more I educate and teach people how to stay safe, the more I got the targets on my back. So I had to then personally, as well as within my company, upgrade everything across the board, not just from a cybersecurity perspective and computer networks, but even from a physical security standpoint. And I've learned a lot in the process over these past few years how important security is throughout the entire chain in the company. And uh, it, it's still an ongoing concern. It's something I'm still battling and will continue to battle, but I've learned enough now how, how, to, how to make it difficult for the hackers. And I think that's the key for anybody that's listening. Don't give up the fight and just understand and learn and share information. That's what helped me. A lot of people that were 
very smart shared information that helped me. And I'm trying to now do the same to educate people so they don't go through the mess that I went through. Sure. And as far as sharing, you did write a book about uh, some of the lessons that you've learned from this called Hacked Again. It can happen to anyone, even a cybersecurity expert. So why did you decide to write a book about it? It's a great question. I, I was actually approached by several people as they heard my harrowing story unfold and as I was living it and explaining my frustrations, a lot of people said, wow, you learned a lot from that. You, you should really share that with others. You should write a book on it. And I would just kind of shrug it off and say, well, I'm not really a writer. I'm, you know, I focus on engineering and, and uh, wireless and technology. I, I don't think of myself as a writer. And then another person would say, it, another person would say, it. next thing you know, I've got dozens of people all saying, that's an interesting story. You should really jot that down. You should write a book on it. So, um, I got some further encouragement and I said, okay, let me, let me try jotting some of this down. And I started the process. It did take a while. It took probably close to two years from start to finish to where you see the book, uh, in, in its printed fashion. A lot of that I think is because trying to go through and, and share all this just takes time to jot, document it down, the fact checking. And then in the process of it, I was be educating and um, weighing in on a lot of TV and radio on different breaches at the time. Uh, obviously, uh, Target was a very big one, um, Office of Personnel Management, and so on and so forth. So as different breaches were unfolding, I started to um, incorporate this toward the latter part, the third part of the book, just to share, hey, here's some of the, the breaches and hacks that are actually going on out there. And in the process, I'm learning more things. So I shared that again with my readers plus sharing my story of what I went through. So it's kind of a combination book that, that'll help people, especially those that have small businesses that deal with these challenges from a day-to-day -day basis. And it even spans to best practices that just everybody can do as far as shopping online and uh, use of credit cards and some common sense best practices, whether you're young or old, that, that should be put in place. Sure. And yeah, I've had my share of small businesses and still work for a small business. So I definitely know some of the strains that that can be and, and struggles just on a day-to-day -day basis, much less being targeted for tax or having to deal with all that. But when you look at maybe small businesses or even individuals, what were some of the lessons that you think that you learned that people can start being kind of aware of now uh, that they might not be thinking of on a regular basis? Yeah, beautiful question. Uh, well, one thing that came to mind right away, and, and I was probably of this mindset also, when we think of security, and in particular cybersecurity, when it's targeting networks and small business owners, the first thing that I, I, I always hear business owners say, and this is, again, what, what I quickly came to the conclusion, you've got to update your, your, your malware and, and your virus checker and so on and so forth. Is that important? Sure, it is important. That's, that's only a piece of the puzzle, though. Because I always relay uh, security, and I talk about this in one of the chapters, uh, layers of security are important. And, and maybe to draw a, a, a comparison or analogy, I think about the physical security of our homes. We all can relate to that. If a robber is trying to break into your house physically, they go to your back door or front door or window, and the first thing is, is it locked? Do you have a deadbolt? Do you have a camera? Do you have alarm stickers? When, the more you have in layers of security, the more it is a deterrent. So that robber is going to go to the next house. He's not even going to bother. There's a big dog behind there. I'm going to move on. 
same thing in cybersecurity. So malware and, and virus scanners and software like that, that's important. But in reality, it only gets between 10 and 15% of the viruses coming through your computer network. There's a whole lot more things you need to make sure you have in place. A, a good firewall, of course. You have to upgrade your, your um, operating system on a regular basis for security patches. Very important because a lot of things will get through there. Spam. Do you have good control for your spam coming in? A good spam filter and junk filter in place um, at your server. Maybe you're connected to a server and, and you have uh, actual hardware there that can actually filter out a lot of that junk mail that you can control the effectiveness of it. That's a huge part of it. So again, layers of security help. And we're just talking about computer networks in this case. Within a small business, one of the biggest things that you can control and influence is the human element, the insider threat. We as people innocently often forget we give away too much information. It, the little sticky note we joke about that people put on their computer with their password or under their keyboard, I see it every day. When I visit companies, everybody has their passwords written down on things. And I say, what are you doing there? That's visible. And they say, well, I can't remember it. It's got to be right there so I don't forget it. So I, I understand their pain. I used to be that way as well. So then people always ask, well, what do I do with passwords? How do I remember them? Well, you write them down. You make them long and strong. And we've probably all heard this. Unfortunately, people get complacent. Mm -hmm. And if you don't create a long, strong password, especially employees in a small business and manage that, you're going to have problems. And that's kind of a weak point. And that's where hackers will go in and they'll exploit. They're looking for the vulnerability, the weak point. Usually they'll prey on humans, people. So it's important to educate staff. And I always say everyone from the, the janitor to the CEO needs to think cybersecurity and understand what value the company has. And, and that could be trade secrets, intellectual property, know-how, documents, whatever your business is. It doesn't matter. You have value. You have assets there. Maybe it's your customer names. Maybe it's uh, credit card information. Maybe it's in your employee file, your social security numbers. There's a wealth of information that hackers would love to have to take advantage of. So as small business owners especially, you have to guard and protect that and educate the staff to implement simple things such as creating long, strong passwords how to properly store them, how to encrypt data. Something I always talk about even is something as simple as shredding a document. Sounds silly. Most people go, yeah. And what happens? Most people don't shred because it takes a little bit more time. Or they just use a simple $20 shredder that they find at Staples. Instead, they should get a, a micro cross-cut, good quality shredder that decimates a document. And that way it makes it really hard. Why do I say that? Um, just thinking about one thing we had was a case here at our company. Somebody did a dumpster diving, rifling through our garbage. And then right alongside our empty garbage cans coming in Monday morning was actually a credit card that I cut up. Had it reissued it, that whole process of the mess. And somebody basically pieced it together on the curb, must have taken a picture of it. So there's something very specific that a thief is physically looking through, rifling through your garbage, spots something that might be of value, pieces together, takes a picture, and takes off. 
fortunately, I was able to get the card. The card was immediately canceled, and it, even though I chopped it up, it shows that just because we chop up a, a credit card does not mean that people will not uh, try to put it together and try to perform identity theft or steal our credit. So another thing I recommend, if you're chopping up your credit card, your old one, when a new one is issued, maybe because of expiration date, chop it up, throw half of your credit card in the garbage one week, the next week throw in another, or travel somewhere else and throw the other half away, or burn it or something else. Little practical things that are within our control make a huge difference in the world of cybersecurity. Yeah, it, it really kind of comes down to, because you're saying the you know, attackers will go after individuals. It's they're looking for that information or some way to leverage that information for some kind of financial game. So or gain. So why make it easy for them? You know, it's I almost think about it. It's there's you know I grew up in the '80s as a kid watching horror movies, and all I could think of is yeah, you know, the monster, whether it be a Freddy or Jason type character chasing you, and you're not going to stop them, but you got to slow them down. You know, you got to throw things yeah. in your path, yeah. and <laughs> there's no reason that you shouldn't be trying to make things as hard as you can for for everybody. And we see that a lot where we do uh, security training for companies and say, okay, you can you can you can secure your systems but again to that point is you got to look at your blind sides and know where the papers are and i'm sure you've seen in in jersey and we've seen it around in the new york city areas yeah people bundle up all those paper papers put them in clear plastic bags they end up in out in alleyways it wouldn't be hard for somebody just to walk by and grab that so it's the simple things that people have to do when, when kind of managing their you know security um that they need to really be more thoughtful of so you know there there are a lot of threats out there, but I know you said you studied some of the bigger breaches as part of this book. Was was there any kind of common themes along some of the breaches that were commonalities about people not watching their their backs a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Again and again, as you dive into any breach, and some of them are some pretty amazing uh, technical feats that uh, that different uh, individuals and hackers have done, and some of them are just. The result of a, a, a hacker is basically lazy and finds a, a weak point, a vulnerability, and they want to exploit it. Uh, but but a commonality in all of them, I think, it goes back to people and passwords again and again and again. I mean, you you look at something as as uh, devastating as J.P. Morgan, the breach there, where they've committed you know half a billion dollars to upgrade their security so on and so forth. When you when you dig into the nitty-gritty of a lot of things, what happens? It's remote access, and it's not having full password protection, multi-factor authentication. Now, did employees use that? Do they have secure servers, uh, encrypted data, all of those things? Absolutely. But the hackers found the one point where they could, again, infiltrate in and it's usually through that remote access. So when employees tie into the computer networks remotely and have a way to get in, if it's not done consistently and securely, that's where the breakdown is. So the hackers will very carefully find that that weakness and and then attack it. I, uh, another good example I look at is uh, the Home Depot breach. If we think about that, that was actually a very costly breach. It cost Home Depot actually more money in, in claims and, and damages than the target breach, surprisingly. And I think the target breach, the brand, was affected greatly there. But in the Home Depot, the interesting part is it, it really only happened, malware got placed on the POS, the point-of-sale terminals, on the self-checkout lanes, which I found kind of interesting. So there, what was discovered was there was older legacy Windows operating system on these point-of-sale terminals. 
So Windows is not getting, for the older Windows XP and so on and so forth, they're not getting security patches. It's not supported. So they did not upgrade the operating systems. The target, uh, uh, excuse me, so the target was just those point-of-sale terminals at Home Depot for self-checkout, and that's where the hackers placed the malware. So everyone that did the quickie self-checkout, where there's only one person watching half a dozen people checking out at a time, all those credit cards were compromised. Everyone else that waited in the line at the register with the more upgraded point-of-sale terminals were not compromised. So there's a lot of variance between breach to breach, but it does oftentimes, how does the, the hack happen? It's by finding that weak point, which is usually a person or a password or a combination of the two to get that malware on the terminals. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, step back and, and kind of examine, I'm curious about your your background prior to the breach about how you you kind of really grew into becoming more of a security professional what was your kind of background and path into the industry sure uh just a brief background on myself uh, uh grew up loved computers um I w- went to college got a degree in computer science for programming and focused a lot on technology robotics what makes things tick under the hood so that way, it's a nice mixture combination of actual programming, but but also uh, electronics. And I think that helps, at least in this industry, because you need to understand not just computer networks, but, but sometimes how they interact or interface to other items. That's an important mix there. And just having a curiosity in technology as a whole, I think, is important for the field of cybersecurity. Our company, Berkeley Varitronic Systems, is in business 44 years. It was founded by my father, who's still our CTO, Gary Schober. And we've always focused on designing solutions, complete solutions. So somebody comes to us with a, a problem, and we try to provide them with a complete solution. Um, about the mid to late 80s, what really um, helped us take off as a, a company, a small business, was we were approached by a firm down in uh, Washington to develop the first test instruments to design and develop cell towers. And it was back then that the cellular format was, was taking off and cell towers had to be placed everywhere. Well, there needed to be test instruments, transmitters and receivers to simulate those towers before they were erected. And that's exactly what we built. We built thousands and thousands of simulated transmitters and receivers to collect that data and basically plot out how the signals propagate. So that way carriers back then, the, the Nextels and AT&Ts and so on and so forth would know Here's where we got to build the tower, how tall it is, the output power, the uh, antenna, so on and so forth. So all of that knowledge, understanding what makes phones work, and as phones evolve to the second generation, third generation, what we hear about 3G and 4G uh, LTE technologies, we understand that. We know what makes phones work. We also know where the vulnerabilities are in mobile phones and smartphones. So it's kind of a natural fit to provide tools to make sure that we could monitor and keep facilities safe from mobile phones. So they could be come and be used for cyber attacks or how networks could be breached. So there was a great crisscross there, which I think just paved the way for us to get into the more security side of the industry. We still do sell test equipment as a company. And that's a lot of our, is our bread and butter to, to make sure that the networks are operating properly there's good throughput and good signal coverage, and we do this on a global basis. But the other half of our business is really the security side, Keep, keeping people safe, keeping networks safe, keeping you know 
preventing from cyber breaches. So we sell to many government agencies, especially, and these are cyber threat intelligence groups that house classified information, and they will not allow any wireless threat, and be it a cellular phone, because you could obviously take a picture of a confidential document or steal files or whatever, and use that as the conduit to get it out. Any Bluetooth threat, any Wi-Fi threat. So we measure, monitor, and provide products that deter these things from coming in. So it's kind of a, um, evolved over a number of years, I think, to the expertise that we have right now in this area. Interesting. And so now as, as wireless has become a big part of our, all of our lives, you know, from, you know, we all have either multiple devices connected to us at any given point, and you know, there's more Internet of Things things out there. Are there some wireless threats that people should be kind of worried about or more thoughtful of going forward? Yeah, fabulous point. In fact, that's an exciting part, and I talk about this a lot and educate people, and we're even uh, analyzing products and developing products ourselves to monitor that wireless threat, because we think about the Internet of Things, IoT, what that's really translated to, as they're talking about billions of connected devices to the Internet, many of those are connected via wireless. And that's where the concern comes about. It could be our wireless keyboard, wireless mouse, but but even more consumer-oriented devices, your refrigerator and toaster. We may laugh about it, but those things are becoming the norm now. People are buying consumer devices that have wireless in them that will allow them to connect to the Internet. I, I use an, a Nest at home for my thermostat, and, and that connects through my Wi-Fi system. So when we have all these different devices that, that become an asset in our lives to make our lives more convenient, we have to analyze very carefully what are the risks and what are the vulnerabilities by connecting that device. Do we have it set up with a long, strong password to our wireless network system? Um, you have to ask, is there encryption on it? What's the policy and how do these Internet of Things devices get updated if they do find that there's a problem with them? Oftentimes, these are low-cost devices, you know, sub-$100 for many of these Internet of Things devices. There's no means to upgrade that actual firmware, what's under the hood inside there, to patch a security breach. What do you do? We, we see how often our computers are patched, our operating system or malware or virus checker. Some of us, we're, we're seeing updates weekly. Well, what happens when you buy an Internet of Things device and there's no path to upgrade it? Do you physically send the device back to the manufacturer? That is a big concern I have. So security needs to be baked in and thought into the process when you're designing a product up front. So that way it's easier to upgrade down the road if there is a vulnerability that comes up. Interesting. And I, I noted that there was a Newsweek article last year that spoke about drones that you were quoted in. And what are some of the challenges that we're also facing with, with drone technology with another one of those? Uh, quickly, we're adopting this type of new technology. Amazon's thinking about throwing it out there as a delivery system for packages. Are there similar types of threats or risks that come into play when we're looking at drone technology? Yeah, absolutely. And for, for me, drones are fascinating. We, we've got a half dozen drones here. We fly them. We love them. Great from the for, for a lot of practical things, from, from uh, media and doing all kinds of video and surveillance and you name it. 
crisscrosses so many different areas. Exciting technology. The downside of it is you can do so many things with drones that a lot of people just don't think about. For example, and I've I've presented on this a few times at different hacking events, you can, (coughs) excuse me, couple a drone with a modified wireless access point and you can create a man-in-the-middle attack. So say you fly over a hotel, let's say, or a corporation, whatever, you could set the SSID to be whatever the hotel's name is. So people naturally will look there and you could say, you know, Marriott visitor or something when you look on your mobile phone or your laptop and what's flying overhead, a drone that's flying up 100, 200 feet that you don't hear, you don't see. Now what happens? A user, a guest staying at the hotel innocently connects to this open access point that's flying overhead, unbeknown to them. And now this man in the middle attack occurs and they're collecting all of the content. And that's what's so scary. Now they have access to someone's mobile device, their laptop, maybe they're a business traveler staying at the hotel and they could download malware on there and actually perform a man in the middle attack and cause all kinds of havoc. In some cases they could confiscate the, the contacts on the phone, email messages, all kinds of havoc could obviously come out there. But what's even scarier is if they plant the malware, perhaps a key logger so they could record every single keystroke that you uh, have on your mobile device. And that, that could obviously cause havoc. Imagine you're accessing your bank, for example. So lots of things that can unfold with drones and wireless for hacking. Uh, another area that, that is of, of big concern to myself is I think about drones and critical infrastructure. Now, if you have a nuclear facility and somebody wants to cause major havoc or harm or problem, maybe it's a terroristic act, what can they do? They could easily take two drones, they could fly one in, and they could have C4 attached to it because drones can take a pretty good payload now. They could blow up the the power source there, and then the second drone, they could blow up the backup generators. Now, suddenly you have no power feeding to a nuclear reactor your primary and your backup power, what happens? You have a meltdown. So these type of things, they, they seem very far-fetched and out there, but carried out by the right crazy person, terrorist, somebody with a little bit of ability or desire to cause havoc, they can accomplish these things. I, I went down to uh, Capitol in Trenton actually to testify, to talk about the critical infrastructure and the, the the threats that drones pose to it in those type of scenarios. Now, at a nuclear facility, they don't have somebody that could pull a gun out and just shoot down a drone. You can't have guns and things like that. So how do you counter those type of threats? That's one thing that went through my mind to stop a drone coming in to, to blow up something. So we developed a tool so it'll allow you to actually scan and look for Wi-Fi drones And then what we can do is actually pull up the MAC address because every uh, drone will have a known MAC address, which then tells us who the manufacturer of the drone is. We pull up on the screen with our scanner and it'll tell you the type of drone. It's a DJI or whatever the case may be. We'll tell you the altitude. We could measure the signal propagation coming to our scanner from the drone and then determine what the altitude speed is. And then we can also see who that drone is associated to, that being the pilot. Then we can couple a directional antenna, and we can hone in on the pilot's specific MAC address and hunt the pilot down. 
So in scenarios where certain drones might fly over secure space or by the White House or there's a big problem with um, lookers at uh, they just look and watch forest fires with their drones and it's a secure airspace, airplanes come over to put the fire out. They can't because there's drones there and that's a threat. So they have to close the airspace down. That's a danger. So in all these various scenarios, tools that we've developed can be used to stop the threat of drones and hunt down the pilots there just to make it safer. So lots of things that unfold with drones. I love them. They're exciting. Negative side is hackers, terrorists, crazy people come up with some very novel ideas how to dr- use drones for, for bad things. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's as we kind of can continue to adopt new technology. Uh, we hope that as a society we start thinking about what are some of the bad things that can happen as much as a it's horrible as to think about it but you know they as as you said you don't you don't want to you don't want to think about it but these things can happen so be cognitive of it now besides the book you you have done some other contributions uh, particularly with some of the colleges in New Jersey can you talk a little bit about what you've done with college programs and help develop some of those those courses yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and again, as we talked before, education is such a big part of, of, of certainly the wireless community, cybersecurity, how to keep safe. And uh, well, one university locally here, Kane University, have been working with helping to put together a cybersecurity program. So I'm on the cybersecurity advisory board there, as well as the foundation board to help really launch this program to educate uh, students and those that already have careers and want to advance their careers how they can effectively do this with focused courses in cybersecurity, or if they want to obtain a degree in cybersecurity, they could go toward that as well. And, and that's, that's a big, big portion of it, the educational side. And it's not just necessarily um, book smarts. A lot of the education, what's important, uh, I feel, is that you have hands-on working with computers. And, and, there's, and there's various things you can do, simulate hacks and and learn how to go through the paces thinking like a hacker helps educate you to learn how to keep computer networks safe. That's a very big, big part. Uh, another group I've been working with too, and they're out of, uh, based out of Washington, DC, it's called hack ed hack education. And well, they've got a very interesting, um, mix. They've got a very focused seven week course. So it's a module each week that's hands on keyboard. And what that's doing is it's training an elite group to learn and understand what it's like to be a hacker so, again, they can counter these things. And what happens at the end of this seven-week intensive course, students don't pay to attend. So they have a very, very high rate of people applying for it, and they vet it and carefully select 15 students for each class. And then at the end of the class, they get placed into top cybersecurity companies. And that company will pay a fee then to actually recruit or hire that student immediately after the seven weeks of training. So very exciting. If people are shifting from one career to get into cybersecurity, they could focus for seven weeks. It doesn't cost them anything if they get accepted in the program. And then, boom, they start out immediately with that hands-on skill set in top cybersecurity companies. And starting first class is actually happening next week in Washington. Then it's going to branch out, and there'll be a campus in in Manhattan soon and other major cities. Uh, It's great because there's over a million jobs globally 
that are not filled where there is cybersecurity need. So huge, huge need and demand. So I always encourage people that I talk to, if you enjoy science, if you enjoy computers, mathematics, think about cybersecurity as a career because there's such a need and a demand for it. And it's not just in the government space, Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, education. There's so many different avenues and aspects that are blossoming up that bring cybersecurity into the realm. So it's a great area for, for those that are trying to figure out a career path, where to go. I always encourage them to consider that at least. Excellent. Yeah, we definitely need more people, um, but it's also finding the right people too. So if, if somebody is looking to get started in cybersecurity, what's some advice you would give them as they evaluate the field? I always ask people, what's their what's their personality and background like? And what do I mean by that? When you get a job, when you're entering a field, you got to love it. You got to have a passion for it and enjoy it to succeed and grow in that field. So in other words, if you really are thinking about cybersecurity, it's important that you're a tinkerer. Do you like to take things apart? Do you like to, to play on computers? Do, do you enjoy it? And I don't just mean... Your, your basic stuff working on Microsoft Word or Excel or things like that, but maybe questioning things, understanding what makes it work. How do I program a little bit and understanding the basic concepts? When someone has that, that inquisitiveness, that is what skill set is needed to really get into the cybersecurity field. Often the, the top cybersecurity experts are not necessarily people with college degrees. They're actually people with hands-on experience. And that's what you find. The, the really good hackers, they're self-taught. <clears throat> so it is important that people take the initiative. If you're going to pursue that career, get involved in it firsthand. Maybe it's joining a, a, a computer group at the local uh, high school even, or the college, or the community. I know I did that. That way you learn different skill sets, and you're interacting with different people and understanding the problems. And you could develop those skill sets early on before you even go for specific training or spend a lot of money toward a degree. It's gotta become part of your life. That's what I feel. Definitely. And as far as training or maybe some certifications, you know, that, that tends to be a, a big conversation topic with a lot of people and in and outside the industry. Are there particular types of training that you encourage people to look for? Um, it, it does. A lot of it depends on what career path are you going. Uh, cybersecurity has now become um, such a widespread area that you have to find your niche. In other words, what do I mean by that? For, for, for our company, Berkeley Viratronic Systems, our niche is uh, wireless threat detection in the world of cybersecurity. Uh, but you may want to, maybe you're somebody that, that enjoys numbers and enjoys insurance. But guess what? Selling cybersecurity insurance is a huge field. So you need to really look in your particular discipline, what you enjoy, what you like, and then get focused education in there or a focused certification or degree. Um, SANS puts out a lot of good courses. It is very expensive, but you can go for a week or several weeks for very focused niche courses that will help you specifically plug into the particular trade that you're looking to get a career in, in, in tied with cybersecurity. So it really requires a lot of investigation. I often ask a lot of questions to somebody that's looking to go this direction or that direction first, 
so I could steer them to the correct you know, certification, college, additional courses, hands-on experience, whatever the case may be. Excellent. Well, Scott, I greatly appreciate your time today. Um, and where can people find you? What's some of the <clears throat> sites for the for for your blog and for the the book? I'll be sure to put it all in the show notes. But let people know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if they're interested in the book, they they can simply go to hackedagain.com, and they could purchase the book there if they like. I do have tips on there. Eleven tips, cybersecurity tips that are for free. They can download and read up to get get a feel for it, as well as many videos. Uh, the blogs, they could go to simply my name, scottshober.com. They can get a lot of blogs there. If they want more focused blogs or learn more about our, our wireless um, detection tools, they can go to my company, and it's, it's simply www.b as in boy, v as in victor, and then the word systems, spelled out plural, .com. And I am also very active on on Twitter. It's, it's simply my um, uh, name at Scott BVS. You could always direct message me or ask any questions there as well. Get more information. And I try to help people and answer any cybersecurity challenges or questions they have there at any time. Great, and I'll definitely put all that in the show notes. Thank you so much again for your time today, Scott. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Yes, that was great. Thank, thanks again for some insightful questions, Douglas. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.